Today we have a really good lineup of speakers. I'm going to give you a really, really short blurb, and each person is going to address a few questions about their career change. Um, we have Murad Egbald, who I had the pleasure of working with when I was at University of Baltimore. He's a geologist, lawyer, and consultant. His professional body of work represents an unusual combination of professional, business, and academic endeavors over nearly four decades. He has consulted for governments, commercial businesses, non-governmental organizations, and private individuals on natural resources and water development, transferring pricing and foreign currency exchange and payments and private and public partnerships. We have Kevin Hatcher, my massage therapy colleague. In addition to being a professional librarian, I'm a licensed massage therapist. Mm -hmm. And Kevin and I are colleagues, and he recently retired from the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, and he handled grants and contracting and did training there. Now he's doing massage therapy. We have Nina Poli, who was in the U.S. Air Force Police, correctional officer, loss prevention, became a nurse in the U.S. Army. She's now working on her master's degree in nursing and plans to go on to a PhD and become an educator. One thing that impressed me when she came actually as a customer to the business science technology was she said it wasn't easy. And I was thinking how so often career transition you have to make some sacrifices. And we have Dawn Casey. She's done clothing, she's been a clothing designer, advertising executive. She started a renovation design business in tandem with getting a real estate license. And in 2011, she hung up her license to concentrate fully on her design business. We have Caitlin Kamen, who works here at Enid Pratt. She was in childcare, and she went and got her associate's degree, and now she does computer technology. We have Tawny McCloskey. She became a welder after having been incarcerated. She took the training, was hired and promoted, and became a training instructor, instructor, and now helps other people get very skilled training. So um, I think I will start on the far end, and we have a few questions. We ask each person to speak about seven minutes. You don't have to stick exactly to the questions that are in your folder, but it might give a guideline. And why don't we start with Nina? Hi, everybody. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. So my name is Nina Polly. I just want to give you a brief rundown of, you know, I've had so many jobs, and I just want to start um, with some of my first jobs and how I've changed from one type of job to another. So I um, joined the Air Force when I was 17 years old. I was um, in the Air Force for six years. It was the best six years of my life. I got to travel for free, and I learned, you know, discipline and camaraderie for my six years. It was awesome. I uh, worked as a police in the Air Force, so it's kind of helped me when I got out to get a job. Uh, when I got out, I worked, um, as she said, in loss prevention at Value City. I also worked as a corrections officer for about a year and a half. And then after I worked for, you know, finished in corrections, I started at BCCC. Anybody familiar with that college on Liberty Heights? I was there for five years just getting my associates. I took one class at a time. It was really hard because I had you know, small children. Uh, after that, I transferred to the Uni University of Maryland on Lombard School of Nursing. I got my BS in there back in 2003. So as you see, I've gone from police work to uh, nursing, so it's a big change for me. 
But I knew I always wanted to help people, so that's why I became a nurse. So I'm currently a nurse uh, since 2003, and I'm also in the U.S. Army Reserve as a lieutenant, which is quite a different story. I'd be here all day telling you about that. And I'm also in graduate school working on my master's degree so I can go back and teach nursing. Um, there's two obstacles that I had along the way. So when I was at BCCC, is the child care issues because I, you know, I didn't have daycare back then. I had to often take my kids to class with me in the strollers. It was kind of hard. Also, I didn't have a support system back in those days. My parents were deceased, so I was pretty much, you know, dependent on myself to get ahead. And uh, I'm still getting ahead. Um, what influenced me was a book I read maybe about 15 or 20 years ago by Ben Carson called Gifted Hands. I don't remember what I read in that book, but somehow it kind of motivated me to keep going. And even though this, you know, the struggle was hard, I, I have made it. And was there a defining moment that made me change? Um, not really. I just um, perseverance and uh, struggling. And it makes you, you know, like when you work hard for something, you appreciate it more when you get it. And so I have uh, come a long way from you know Air Force police to uh, now nursing, and it's been wonderful. A wonderful. Almost 20 years now of different career changes, but it's been worth it. Any questions, or do you want to say this till last? Uh, we'll save the, okay. We a, forgot to mention, we'll have a question and answer at the yes. end. Thank okay. you for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie. I'm Katie. <laughs> <laughs> so please bear with me. I'm a little bit nervous, but... Um, <laughs> Pretty much my story is I worked at daycare for five years. Um, I split it up. I used to work at three point three and a half years with one daycare, and then I moved to another daycare. Um, I wasn't happy on the situations because, again, unfortunately, the daycares I worked at, they kind of brought drama, and I'm not a big fan of drama. So I was looking at other opportunities to work, and I decided I'm going to go back to school and get my associate's degree in computers. I enjoy computers. I fix people's computers and their technology devices, thanks to my side of the family. Um, <laughs> I heard chuckle, so it works. Um, so I went into school for about a year and a half. And during my school years, they actually had me do um, pay volunteer work here. And during my classes, I was working here after I was done classes. Um, and then once I was getting close to my graduation, my the library hired me out, and I was so stoked and so excited. <laughs> um, the obstacles I over, had to overcome is because technology, um, computer technology and computer techs, there's not a lot of women in the department. It was probably me and another lady in the school, and it was pretty hard for the classes. About only three people graduate from the, from the class, and I was one of them, so yay. <laughs> um, what influenced me the most is um, my family was very encouraging about me using computers. They're like, okay, Kate, you need to, this is not working, go fix it for me. And they'll ask me questions like, um, how come I can't go on this? And I was just so used to answering questions, and I have a tendency of taking technology apart, like computers and devices. So my parents kind of encourage it as well. And also, I had a very helpful instructor there. She was determined for me to be one of the women who graduated. Um, one of the defining moments that made me change the idea is I loved children, but I was trying to find something I was really passionate about, and I enjoyed the computers. And if anybody's seen like, the commercials, like I went back to school with like, the Kaplans or the test ones, 
I saw the Kaplan commercials with the computer technology one. I was like, I like computers. I like to understand them. So I decided to join up, and my first class was, today we're going to take a computer apart. And pretty much me is just, yes. <laughs> so that's encouraged me to keep going and learning my technology and working on computers. Okay. I hope that's seven minutes, but... <laughs> Good afternoon. My name is Murad, Murad Iqbal. Delighted to see uh, so many familiar faces in the audience, some old friends and family that have come. Thank you for making the time. Um, and before I say a few things about the four points that we've been given to address ourselves to, I just want to extend the thanks to Gene Lauber and the Enoch Pratt Library, Enoch Pratt Free Library, uh, for organizing this as well as Maryland New Directions. I think it's a very timely and wonderful event, and it's a good time to stay out of the heat of artscape and come in here and stay cool. <laughs> so you asked us, you said, can you please share your story of career change? I promise I'll be short. Um, as Jean has already said, I've, my 40 years of work have spanned a number of different uh, um, uh, professions and different professional activities. Most importantly, I arrived in this country in 1971 as a foreign student coming here to study with the idea of going back to the country of my birth, and that kind of lingered on until 1979 when a, a revolution did a small change in my plans. And so with that, uh, I want to highlight two differences in terms of the, the, the program topics as game changer or career changes. And you can look at involuntary career changes because something else happens somewhere else and it affects you, or you can look at voluntary career changes where you say, I've done this, I'm going to do and go and do why. And I've experienced both, and I'll tell you about them in just one second. So then, in the period of uncertainty, staying in this country, how do I stay in this country? The relations were not particularly uh, warm in, between the United States and that country. We've just signed a, an agreement with them. I need not uh, spell it out for you. It has four letters. The second one is an A. Anyway, I won't play that game. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, so I stayed here, and already that first involuntary game change uh, taught me something about overcoming obstacles, and I, have, I am relearning it at this time since I left the University of Baltimore in 2009, and that is when, when a change occurs, whether voluntary or involuntary, you really need a good community and friends infrastructure to support you, because if you don't, the likelihood is very great that you've you know, end up between the chairs, fall through the cracks, and it's much harder to come through that. More about that as we go on. So then I, I, I was working here in the United States as a geologist. I spent 10 years of my life uh, developing and drilling and locating water wells out west. They might, might need me still, I don't know, but uh, that's all a matter of connections. And after a period of time, I realized um, that... I had another thing within me, so this is the first voluntary career change. And um, I wanted to become a lawyer. I went to law school. I earned my Juris Doctorate at Howard University Law School. And from day one that I went into law school, my view was always international. My entire scope, my entire experience, my entire activities are all international and uh, not much nationally or locally or regionally. And so from there, I went into the legal profession for a couple of years as a practitioner and then went out and uh, started teaching at the University of Baltimore and Howard University Law Schools. 
uh, Howard University for 20 years, University of Baltimore for 15. And uh, overcoming obstacles, well, you try to communicate your vision to others, and I had to relearn that language because sometimes I would talk to individuals and I could see their eyes glaze over because I had lost them. And time and again, my mentors and my friends would say, be mindful who your audience is. The judge I clerked for, Judge William Benson Bryant uh, in D.C., he always used to say, be mindful when you, when you try a case. You've got to make sure who your audience is. Who or what influenced me? Well, two things really influenced me. Three things influenced me. My family did, because by the time I started teaching at the University of Baltimore, my wife and I, um, we, had, uh, we had children. We had one daughter and now a second. And so you want to be able to provide for them. You not only provide for them materially, but really provide content, see that your parents are doing something productive. And the second part of it is my friends and my colleagues and the people I've come in contact with who said, you have skills, you've got to put them to use. Do not let them go to waste. So there's an internal driving mechanism. And within me, there was a desire to be uh, productive. I, I, I don't like the idea of sitting around. And was there a defining moment that made me change? Yes. And I, I reflect on where we are now. When last I had to apply for a job, believe it or not, and my daughter is going to roll her eyes, I'm sure, because that's before her generation and your generation, are you? Uh, you had to apply in paper, you mailed your resumes, you made calls to go see someone, you had actually a face-to-face -face interview. All of that just took a leap out the window. It's gone. And I realize that now because I'm in my next career change. I'm in transition. I'm looking for my next chapter to open up. It's showing itself on the light of dawn in the mornings, but not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you have, to, you have to be able to recognize what is the current driving force, and technology is driving it clearly. When I was applying for a job, there was no such thing as the Internet, believe it or not. And so <laughs> job searches came about in different ways. Now, everybody, if you ask a question, nobody goes to white pages or, you know, these libraries, they're wonderful, but I can see a time when there won't be any books on the shelf. Everybody's Googling everything, and there are new things. So I don't like it. I'm an old-fashioned guy. I prefer books. I like to have the feel of something in my hands. But the reality is we have to adjust to the times. That was a good sign that I'm going on too long. <laughs> so we'll have a chance to talk. I won't preempt the rest of my conversation. But uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm very delighted to be here. Hello, everybody. My name is Tawny McCluskey. Um, my story is vastly different from what you've already heard. Um, I'll take you back to 2008 when I was arrested on drug charges from uh, federal government. I spent about two and a half years in prison. Um, I was about 22 years old when this all happened, um, kind of in that stage of which you just don't know what you're going to do in life and, and not sure where you're going to go and, and walk down the wrong path. Um, before I was incarcerated, I had found out I was pregnant and gave birth to my son, who is now six years old. Um, but uh, it was, it, let's go back, it was um, methamphetamine. And I say that because I think we all know how serious that can be and the road that it can really lead down. And I was really fortunate that, that I ended up incarcerated and not in the streets and, and dead somewhere. So, um, you know, that 
that was a pivotal moment for me, which turned into knowing I needed to be able to support, support my son. Um, I went to prison and I was able to learn how to weld there. I was able to learn a new skill, a trade, and that was the beginning of my endeavor to become a supportive parent and responsible adult. Um, so after getting out of prison, um, I should have been released to Indiana, which is where I was originally from, where I was uh, arrested at. And they put me in Chicago where I had nobody and didn't know anything and, and really was kind of like dropping me in the middle of nowhere in my mind. Um, I had set up support through people in Indiana, not in Illinois. <laughs> so I was kind of at a loss. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I stumbled across a place called Jane Addams Resource Corporation. And their um, corporate or home office, I should say, is, is in Chicago. And they did on the um, job training in welding and CNC. So since I already had some skills in welding, I was going to jump in there and see how they could help because being a felon was not an easy task to overcome when you went to apply for a job. It just people looked down on you for it. Um, so I went through their program, completed it in nine weeks, and literally finished on a Friday, and the following Monday I had a job. I had went out and did, you know, the interview process, went through with the drug testing, you know, jumped all those hurdles and finally solidified something. You know, I went in and they're like, well, we're going to start you $11 an hour. And I was like, great, because I used to make 39 cents an hour. <laughs> so for me, I was, it was extremely happy. Um, and I was going to be able to provide for myself and have a home and, and bring my son back to me. He was with my mom over the period while I was gone. Um, I was going to be able to provide for my family. And one thing led to another. So let's see, in 2011 was when I started my job. I stayed at that place till February of this year, and that was in Chicago. Um, then I found that Jane Adams was going to be replicating their program in Baltimore, and they needed a welding instructor. Um, and I was head over heels for that idea because the whole time I was working at my original job, um, I was going back and volunteering at Jane Addams because Jane Addams had become my family. They become everything that I needed support. I had whatever it was, phone call, I'm having a hard day. Um, I need to figure out how I'm going to pay this bill. Who do I seek out for emergency services? You know, these things I came, you know, through and had to overcome and they were there for me. Um, you know, also they were there for me for the great times when I when I made the step up and now I was the lead welder at the job I was at. They were sending me out for more on-the-job training to become a robotic program programmer um, and eventually the supervisor there. And once I hit that level, I said, I do not love management. This is not where I want to be. <laughs> um, so I continued and that's when I found out about the position out here and they, they said, well, we'll fly you out. We want you to see it. We want you to be comfortable. You've never been over to the East Coast, and you don't have your family there. Um, and my response was, yeah, I will, because Jark is my family. Um, so I came out here, and I took the position, and now I'm teaching in Park Heights, which I'm sure all of you are familiar with. It is a very rough neighborhood. Um, you know, literally last week, there was there was gunshots and somebody, you know, killed over there, I think it was. And it's just the chaos. And it breaks my heart because a lot of the people that are on the street out there are in the same shoes that I was how many years ago. And so for me, my motivation at this point is to 
help those people. You know, I want to walk out on those streets and say, you know, we have something to offer and it's better. Um, you can provide for yourself. I mean, we're talking close to, you know, a dual, I don't know, like, you know, 50,000, 60,000, 70,000, 80,000. What kind of welder do you want to be? This is where you can go. And, and you know, I've done it and I've, I'm doing it. And, and now I'm a single mother and, you know, gratefully have a fiance now that's helping. And, and this has been an amazing journey. Um, you know, but it's like I came from nothing, 39 cents an hour. So that's, you know, that's my story. And, and, and I come from a very difficult place, but none of that would stop me, and it, it will never stop me, and I'm only going to reach higher, and I do it for, for my son. And that's what changed my life, was being pregnant with him and knowing that that was my responsibility. And there was nobody else here in this world to take care of him, so I had to do my best. Um, you know, and I think, you know, for women, it's a, it's a natural instinct and and so I'm lucky for that because I just want to I just want to provide for him and, and lead by example. So, yeah, I think I've covered all these questions in here inevitably through this story. But um, you know that that's where I came from, and it's been a hard road. But it's not one that I look back on as as I'm upset or or disgusted with myself. It built my character. It built my character, and going through those experiences made me who I am today. So. You know, I'm proud of it. I don't proud. I'm not proud of all the decisions, but I'm proud of out of the um, proud of the end result here. So that's that's my story. Let's see if this one works. Can you hear me? Hi, I'm Dawn Casey. Um, I started making my paper doll clothes at 5 and my Barbie doll clothes at 6 and my own clothes at 12. So I knew early on I was very lucky that I was going to go into the fashion business. So I studied fashion design in New York City, um, was offered a job in L.A. when I graduated, and didn't like L.A. too much, so I went up to San Francisco and fell in love with San Francisco and got work up there, which was wonderful, and swore I was going to stay in San Francisco for the rest of my life because it was so beautiful. Um, one of the companies I worked for up there, my boss said to me, let's start a catalog company. I'm like, okay, sure, why not? So we, we started a, a company that was similar to like an L.L. Bean, Joseph Bank, that kind of company, because they owned a factory in Hong Kong that made shirts for kind of the world. So I'm all of a sudden having to learn direct marketing, what, what it's all about, and doing catalogs and all this photo shoots and all, press checks and all this great stuff. So um, about four years into this, uh, my boss sort of made a real bad other business deal and had to leave the country. So um, instead, of selling, <laughs> instead of selling this company, he just closed it. And I was devastated because we gave birth to this company and I had four hard years of so many people's lives went into it. And I was like, oh, sell it. But he didn't. Um, so I then got another job in, in San Francisco and things just weren't kind of going right for me. And I thought... I need a change. This is, the universe is telling me it's time to make a change. And I'm from Baltimore originally. I was born here, left when I was 12 and a half, went up to New England. And now I'm 32, and I'm going to come back to Baltimore. It's 20 years, the Inner Harbor was all redeveloped. It was great and exciting again, and lots of diversity here. And so I came back, and I'm like, okay, how am I going to support myself? Well, I know how to sew, and I know how to design. 
so I started a little cottage industry business out of my house, um, making wedding gowns and bridesmaids gowns and mother of brides dresses because all of my sister's friends were getting married and nobody knew, like, couldn't find what they wanted. So that was all great and wonderful. It was a nice change of pace from what I was doing out west. And, um, and then I met this man and I fell in love and we got married. And then the marriage broke up two years later. And I had to, like, find a better job, a job that was just going to let me move out and support myself again fully. So what am I going to do? I've been out of the fashion business, and I can't support myself to that extent making wedding gowns. And I didn't want to do that anymore anyway. So um, I started networking with some people and talked about my direct marketing experience on client side, because I was the client. And they said, we know of an agency in town that's looking to hire a junior account executive in their direct marketing uh, division. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about advertising. I don't have any training. I don't, you know, blah. But whatever. I went down. It was at a company called Trahan Burden & Charles, TBC. They're still in Baltimore. And I interviewed, and I got the job. So at age 37, I'm starting all over again in a new career, the bottom of the rung pay scale, but I'm making just enough to make ends meet. I move out from my husband, and I, I start a new career. I said, okay, I can do this. Uh, fast forward, I went to another agency called Donor in Baltimore for about five years, and then TBC hired me back as vice president of their direct marketing division, and I was making more money than I ever thought I'd make in my lifetime. And as I left there making... <laughs> tiny bit, and then they brought me back, and I was making all this money um, running their direct marketing division. Um, That was all great. That allowed me at that point to buy this cute little house um, that was a total wreck. And I had family look at me like, you're nuts, you're buying this house. But um, I needed a project. I needed something creative to do with my hands and my brain. Um, and I bought it, and um, I renovated it. And when I was done, I was like, this is my passion. This is what I love to do. Um, I have to make this my career for the rest of my life because I just love doing this. And I would do it for free if I didn't have to make money. That's how much I love doing it. So then 9-11 happened, and um, that took a real blow on people's on marketing budgets um, a lot of ad agencies around the country were just firing people left and right because there was no money to pay their employees. And it, it hit my agency about a year late, later than did others. And I got chopped off the block, corporate downsizing, and I'm out of a really nice job. It's like, okay, now what am I going to do? So um, I, was, I was committed to taking my life down this path of doing renovation work. Let's get my real estate license. The two of those can kind of go tandem together. Um, it's about homes. It's about buying and selling homes. So I got my license, and then I took, a, took another sort of three-month um, marketing uh, consulting job in D.C., and then I came back. I started into real estate, and then I started uh, trying to get business in my design business. And a friend of mine finally caved and let me renovate his condo in Photo Hill, um, which was wonderful because his friends came and saw it, and they hired me to do a job, and then their friends came and saw it. And then what I realized what I had to do was I had to put my marketing skills that I had just learned in advertising to work on myself and get out there and market me now. Um, so I had my writers, I had my graphic designers at my fingertips because I worked with them for 10 years. So I was able to pull from all of that 
um, to help me get my pieces ready and to know where I needed to market myself. Where is my target audience looking for me? Um, and so I eventually kind of figured that out and the leads started coming in and, um, and it, was, it was all great. And four years ago, I was able to hang out my real estate license because my design business was fully supporting me, which is a really nice feeling. Um, but as I look back, um, I see how my, my life's uh, careers have kind of prepared me for my next one. And, and it just, it just kind of all kind of like, and I don't see that until I sit here and look backwards at it, because you don't see it as you're moving forward, that I did this and that helped me do that and this helped me do that and, and blah, blah, blah. And it, getting to, um, I feel so fortunate to have found my passion and to be able to do it. Um, and I guess my defining moment was when I renovated that first house and saw that I could do it and I could uh, do it successfully. I then sold that house for a lot of money, which was great because then I'm making no money. I have no job. and I'm, I'm In real estate, you don't make money in real estate until you settle on a house. And so that helped carry me as I was building my, my two new careers. Um, it was a little scary. Actually, it was very scary and has been very scary at times. Um, but it's very rewarding. So... Um, Obstacles would be obstacles for me would be you know getting myself marketed and having the money to market myself. So I think that's my cue that I'm supposed to pass this on to you. <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Um, who in here needs a massage? We all do. Okay. After this program, I want you to see me, because I have a couple openings in my schedule that I need to fill this week. Um, My name is Kevin Hatcher, um, and I spent about 30 years working for the state of Maryland. Uh, I've been blessed, and I'll use language like that because that's who I am. Um, I have been blessed to create my own jobs in my lifetime. Yes, working for the state of Maryland, I created my own jobs. Uh, When I worked for the then AIDS administration, I created my own job in training. I trained um, people who work with, uh, we called them differently motivated youth. You'll call them juvenile (laughs) detention or whatever. Um, So I worked with kids um, and staff and also kids and staff from RICA and some of the other state agencies to handle troubled kids. Um, I also created my job when I worked for the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene um, Center for Preventive Health Services, where I was fortunate to actually create what came to be a radio show that I used to do on Tuesdays uh, from 12 to 1 on 10, 10 a.m. It was state and nationally recognized. Yes, this raspy voice actually did radio because the secret to radio is you make the guest the star, not the host. So I've always tried to stay as far in the background as I could. Um, and then after that, I, um, some genius decided that that should end. So I went to work for the Department of Human Resources, where I did uh, grants management, uh, working with domestic violence and victim, victims of crime programs. And then DHR decided that, you know what, we want you to do something you've never done before. We want you to sit at a desk all day. <laughs> no can do, because you can't change what you've always done, especially when you're not in favor of it, you're resistant to it. So 
the department and I began to butt heads. By that time, I had gone to part-time because I had started in massage back in, 19, in 2000, I'm sorry. So I've been doing it for about 15 years. Um, and massage, the reason why I got into it, because health is a passion. My wife is a nurse. Um, my daughter-in-law is a physician assistant, uh, teaches at Howard University. So my brother-in-law is a physician. So medicine's been kind of part of my family. And um, so I got into it. And the first time that somebody touched me, I said, that's what I want to do. That's it. And so you get the usual speeches about you shouldn't do that. You know, you can't make any money. You're a male and a female profession. By the way, I'm answering these questions as we go along. You're a male and a female profession. You can't do this. But they don't know me. I, I mean, when you say Park Heights, people run from Park Heights. I run to it. So wherever the problems are, send me. I went down to um, Sandtown, Winchester. Um, we're going to be doing some things down in there to help that community. I run to where problems are. I never run away from them. So to tell me that I can't do something is an invitation for me to do it. <laughs> so um, anyway, I'm going to try to make this as short as possible. Um, so I got in, I, I began to butt heads with the department, and as a part-time employee, you find out that you're always on the short end. Um, and so I reached a point where I said to myself, I can either continue to do this and really not be happy and really start going into decline, or you can step out on faith and take a chance and just go with what your heart and your insides tell you to do. So last September, I decided to transition. I never used the word retire because retire means you're not working. We're just simply transitioning into doing something else. And so I transitioned into doing massage therapy on a more regular basis. But I don't want to do massage therapy full time. I've said that from the beginning. I'd rather, I'd rather have multiple things that I do. Because the more things I do, the more engaged I become, the more I'm involved and I feel people get the more out of me. Um, but I do love massage therapy. It is my heart. It is my passion. It is, and I enjoy the fact that I can help the people who come to me improve their health. Never, I never say things like, I can eliminate your pain, because I, I, I can't. But what I can do is to put you on a path toward pain reduction that will help you to live your best possible health. And so Gene is one of my colleagues. I work at two locations, both of them in Catonsville. They're right across the parking lot from each other. And somebody said, why did you do that? Well, first of all, if I forget something at one shop, it's real easy to go and get it. <laughs> the other thing is, as you grow into something... Always try to step incrementally. Never try to take giant steps. So eventually my goal is to have my own shop and have people working for me. And so this fall I'm going to take the next step and do some things to, to start making that dream a reality. Are there ups and downs? Let's see. What obstacles have I overcome? I think I told you some. And I still have obstacles. I'm not going to tell you this is an easy thing and all you can do is, is step out there and do it and that's it. No. 
You're going to have trials. You're going to have challenges when you want to do something. It's like the more you want it, sometimes the further it starts moving away. But to me, that's where my faith comes in. Because it allows me to look at things and, and, and understand that, yes, it might be this way today. But tomorrow is going to be something better. So I'm always the person who looks at the glasses being half full as opposed to half empty. Um, what influenced me? Getting that first massage. Man, that was great. <laughs> I still love getting massage. I just don't get enough of it because I'm working. Um, the defining moment, as I said, was when uh, the department and I began to butt heads. I wanted to start an employee wellness program. The secretary, who at the time was Ted Dallas of DHR, said, go draw up a program. Start, let's try to see if we can do this. Now, I drew up a wellness program for $1,000. I said, a consultant charges you more than that <laughs> just to put their name on the paper. And I drew up a whole program, and he liked it. And then he said, well, we can't do this. Ah, that wasn't a good thing for him to say. <laughs> but anyway, um, it just got me thinking, perhaps I can work outside of this box and be able to accomplish more for um, employees and for people. Um, I would just say that follow if, if you really have something in you that you want to do, do it. Do it. Unless you're Shirley MacLaine, you're only going to go around once in this life. <laughs> so you want to, you, you, when you're finished, you want to say to yourself, I gave everything I had. Because I guarantee you, there are two things I'm going to close with. Number one, the one thing that you never appreciate until it's gone is your health. And number two, the, one, the other thing that you will never get enough of, no matter how much is given to you, is time. You have a dream, pursue it with all your heart and all your passion. And whatever the creator decides is what it's going to be anyway. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your stories. We'll have question and answer. There's a microphone over here. If you want to come up to the mic to ask any of the panelists some questions. Hi, so I'm Kathy Wagner, and I'm with Maryland New Directions. Thank you all for being here. This has been very exciting to partner with uh, Enoch Pratt on this um, really wonderful panel. Um, so at Maryland New Directions, we teach a lot what we call soft skills. So um, in addition to resume and interview techniques, but just how to present yourself in an interview and how to succeed on the job. Um, you all have been in so many different kinds of jobs. I would just um, ask all of you if, there, if you have any thoughts about what, what those kinds of skills were that you find you've used and relied on in each of these different careers. Well, it's been a long time since I interviewed for a job, um, and it's changed <laughs> now dramatically. Back then it was look very presentable, have a great resume, do your research on who you're going in to talk to, know something about them. Um, 
and just give it your best shot. It was always in person. Now I feel bad for so many people because they don't get to make that first impression. And, and I, think, I think human contact is more important than a piece of paper coming in. So I think it's much harder today, much harder, to get your foot in the door. Um, and so I, I wouldn't know how to tell anybody today what to do, except try, try and get in. <laughs> and, and just get yourself in there physically. Um, say, here I am, because that makes, that makes such a difference. Um, I'll try to answer the question in a little bit different way, because I discovered after having 15 years taught, and when you teach, and I taught on all of the three faculties at the University of Baltimore, it's a lot of preparation, and you're steeped in the profession, you have to take care of your students, so as a result, in a different way, as you've alluded to, these soft people skills, in a way, become stale. So when my work at the University of Baltimore ended, and for a period of time, I personally experienced a very difficult time on how to revive those soft people skills outside of the context of teaching and instructing and mentoring and providing for the students. And I, at this point, I want to, in addition to my thanks to Maryland New Directions and you know, Pratt Free Library, I want to add to that two particular groups that have benefited from immensely because they've helped me bring me out of that state of mind and framework of mind. One of them is uh, it meets up at uh, Roland Park Avenue. It's called Job Hunters at the church right at the corner. A huge blessing. It meets Tuesday uh, from uh, uh, 1 until almost 3, 2.45. We end at 2.30, but we linger on. And then the other one is at Grace Fellowship Church Wednesday nights as well, and they do job coaching. And the benefit of both of those groups has been to just uh, revive and reactivate dormant gray cells in my brain that says, yeah, you've got the skill, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. And the last thing I want to say in answer to your question is one of the most underutilized, from my perspective, underutilized resources the state is truly fortunate to have is Maryland Workforce Development. Because at the encouragement of my wife, we went there, and they were very kind, very understanding, um, very soft people skills, nothing, you know, why are you unemployed? What's wrong with you? How come you... None of that. Very, very gently understood the circumstances. But they also put me behind the computer to do a job skills, which I had never done before. And lo and behold, 694 clearly identifiable skills were extracted from my own experience, so I'm still trying to figure out how to find my way through all of that. But it's a resource. Now I know something about myself which I didn't know before. So that's how I would answer your question. For me, for um, coming from daycare and then going right into technology and have no experience with technology, um, my, this is what my school told me. Um, the library was a little bit ahensive because I didn't have any experience running um, the computers. But there's like, Kate runs, and because I had daycare experience most often, there's like, Kate can do this. Kate, just give her a chance, she'll show it. And I told them, give me a chance, I can show you. Not just because of daycare, I taught kids how to color in the lines or count ABCs. It does take patience with six, six uh, two-year-olds running around and demanding attention. And so when I'm in the computer lab, I have that patience to help work with people. Um, I manage, I'm kind of calm when the little chaos, if you have like 10 hands up in the ear that needs help like just that second. It's like as soon as I get done with this one, I can get this one in and I, commu- I practice communicating with them and have a little bit more confidence 
Um, if you come in knowing, even with your brand new skills, if you come with confidence, it's like, I can do this, just give me a chance, I can show you, that they can see that confidence, and they're like, all right, we'll give you a chance and see. So that's, I, that's my offer, come in with the aura and say, I can do this, just give me a chance. And I, I know a lot of people are, and a lot of employers are getting a chance. I mean, my work here gave me a chance, so I'm here now. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I pick that you. question. <laughs> you pick me, huh? So it caught me off guard now. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think you know it's it's funny. There's two points made. Yours about making yourself presentable, being there, making um, contact with the people, but as well carrying that aura of being confident. Um, because having both of those things really shows the um, perspective and you know employer that you are there and you're willing and you're driven and and I think also that you need to follow up and, and make sure that you continually make contact uh, because that also shows the sort of drive for for the position and and that you're not just kind of lazy and waiting for somebody to call you back, but staying on top of it and motivated because it's something that you really want. So that's, that's my opinion on that. I think you should look at it as an opportunity also to gain additional skills. I, I, I was like the gentleman here and some of the other panelists. Um, you know, we, we, I guess we're kind of moving toward baby boomer age or late Gen Xers. <laughs> and that What's happened is the the world has changed drastically in the last few years, and we can find ourselves complaining about what the way things used to be, but they're not going back. So I took it as an opportunity um, when somebody told me I needed a website. That was a daunting task for me, but I took it as a challenge for me to learn something about how to do website development, um, how to communicate with younger people. Um, I spent a, um, I, I spent three years doing um, working in public health for Baltimore City back in the 80s before I uh, went to work for the state of Maryland. And I did a lot of counseling in that job. And I find that those skill sets, particularly when people are on the table, you find that we spend a lot of times talking with our clients. Because they, when you're on the table and you're in a relaxed state, Sometimes that's a safe space for you to talk and you begin to share your life experiences. And I try to tell them, look, you need to relax. Don't get wound up. Um, But I'm just saying that to say that there are a number of skill sets that I use in um, my job as a massage therapist and a wellness consultant. That's what I'm branching out into now, um, wellness consulting, because I... I went to the Workforce Development Center, and I found that I had all these skill sets. And the um, lady who was working with me said, you should be a consultant. She said companies would pay for the kind of expertise and experience that you have and that you should market yourself not only as a massage therapist but as a wellness consultant. And so I find that as I go through this journey, that there are more things I'm learning about myself that I never knew. And that's why, to me, this is still evolving. 
I don't know if I'll finish up here or someplace else. And that's what makes this journey so enjoyable, that you're always learning and growing. Could I, could I add one additional thing to what has just been said? And it goes to the question, was there a defining moment that made me change? And the emphasis on this has made me change. And I want to share with you an anecdotal point that goes to technology. I think you'll appreciate it. 2009, right around, um, it was, I think, late March, word had gotten around the campus that I would not be returning in the fall. And I had the great fortune in coming across, my office was in the old law school building. There is the square for those of you who know Baltimore well enough right there in Midtown. Net, um, Artscape is taking place right there uh, in the whole neighborhood. And I ran across our, one of our law librarians, and he came up to me and he said, you know, you need a Facebook. And I was so out of it. I mean, <laughs> mind you, mind you, I knew technology. We had computers. I was one of the very first people to have taught a course online in 1994-95 uh, with a student body halfway around. The, so it was not, it was not in, unfamiliar. But he said, we need a Facebook. And I looked at him and I said, what's that? Is that an album? <laughs> like Facebook, album, photos? He laughed and he said, no, no, that's, that's, that's the way the new generation communicates. I said, what happened to pagers? And he said, pagers? That's like, <laughs> next thing you're going to talk about tablets and, you know, chisel and hammer and you hammer out your message. He said, I'll set it up for you. So he did. Blessings upon him because that's what allowed me to keep in touch with all of my students, many of them. And as a result, you've got to be up on technology. Technology is so important. In the old days, you had a choice to say, well, do I or do I not? Now you don't have a choice anymore. And that that really made me change because no sooner had I clicked on two minutes later, my two daughters responded on Facebook, Dad, welcome to the 21st century. <laughs> you know, how come you discovered Facebook? I said, I didn't discover it. My colleague told me about it. So technology is really important and it is incredibly fast how fast it is changing. Well, thank you very much. Um, listening to everyone, one thread went through all of it. I saw that most of you had passion for something, and, and you went for it. Now, I have a passion for something that is not very common, and I need your input in how I can get it going. And the passion is called attitude coaching. Attitude coaching. I discovered that attitude is what drives everything. And I found a way to create a way to coach people to improve their attitude. But it's, I want to be a consultant on attitude coaching. And I want some idea on how I can get myself into the marketplace. Sure. <laughs> Well, I would first say figure out where those um, people are that need attitude coaching. Is it at you know jails? Is it in schools? Where where is your target audience? And then talk to those facilities and say, how do I get trained to do this? This is what I love to do, and how can I get trained? Can I come in and volunteer? Can I sit in on something? Get them to know you, and if they love you and they bring you on board, that's a great way to get your foot in the door. Um, I, I think anybody that has a passion that wants to work somewhere, start volunteering if you can and let them 
get to know you. And then you'll be the first person that they bring in. But there might be programs. You might need to get some training. They can tell you what kind of training you need, and then they'll hire you. So that's, that's And I just wound up being a librarian. Um, <laughs> we have, in the business science technology, we have some resources for people that are thinking about starting a small business. You might want to check some of those. And also networking. And interesting about Facebook, this is how I found Marad when I was going to invite him. First, I looked on LinkedIn, which I'm going to put a plug in. LinkedIn is great for networking, whether you're doing a career change or even if you just want to have professional development or if you are starting a small business. But um, sometimes I think one of the good things is networking not only if you're looking for work but to learn new things. Right. And it could be either online or in person, and there's a lot of opportunities. And I think a lot of us are afraid. We feel like we're asking for help. But sometimes you could say, I want your input on this. And people really do want to share. I mean, look at the wonderful panelists we got that would share. And there are other people in life that can share. And I feel like it's a good benefit to um, ask and to network for sharing as well as um, job networking. I'd, I'd like to add a, a, a an additional answer to your question, and that is um, I would strongly urge you to do three things. Number one, to Google or research the term attitude coaching and see what is available. In the old days, you would have to go to the library. In the new days, we still have to go to the library because you've got wonderful resources like Gene Lauber, but there's also something called you know different search engines, and you can go in there and figure out how does that term morph? What, what is available? The second thing I would encourage you to do, because if you go to an organization, whether it's a corporation or a school system or whatever, and they, you tell them they want to be educated by you by what that term means. What are you proposing to do? And if the answer then becomes, I don't know what are your needs, they are expecting you to know about the needs. So I would suggest roll out a, a curriculum that may take five or six weeks and you say, I'm proposing, this is the plan. And I'm an academician. We all work off of curricula. If I have to have a course approved, I have to tell them, what, what am I going to be teaching? How am I going to teach it? And so put it together and plug in. And then the last and third thing is figure out at least two, maybe three modalities in the way you can roll it out, in, meaning in person, face-to-face, -face, because some of it has to be taught and modeled, or half in person, half online, or all of it online. On, online is possible. You know, my daughters took courses online. I've taught courses online. With Skype, you can do a lot of things. So try to put some flesh on those bones because it's an incredibly important contribution, especially in this time in our society, and especially because we are truly a multicultural society. You know, I've dealt with societies across the world and attitudes are different. The basis is the same, but the attitude is different. And it's very easy to misunderstand a particular human behavior as a bad attitude when it could be approached differently. And one last thing I just want to add to that is, is with our technology in these days, uh, we have less face-to-face -face interactions. So it really is something that people forget about and they forget how to do. So, you know, you're going to find it might be a difficult road to begin with, but don't, don't let something like that go because it could really be beneficial to our companies and people in our daily interactions. So, you know, kudos to you. Keep driving strong. I thank, thank you all for sharing. I really appreciate it, each of you. 
very much. And I felt something in common with each of you, too. It's pretty amazing. My question is that when you are, when you were or are, um, hopefully not will be, in a place where you feel that you would like to get somewhere, but you feel that you're kind of uh, treading water and you're not moving forward, and maybe you're you know, by yourself at night uh, trying to sleep and you're staying up in the middle of the night trying, wondering how you're going to get you know, things accomplished, especially a lot of us talked about family and so on. We're taking care of ourselves. Um, I was wondering, in those moments, what kept you going? Because um, I think some, some of us talked about faith in God and family and friends, but sometimes there's a little gap here and there, and I just wondered if you could share some of that, because all of you are so eloquent. Thank you. Um, I, could, I, I think I can speak to that a little bit, because I've been there, and sometimes I'm still there. As I said, this is still an evolutionary process for me. Um, I think all of those things ought to be expected in any journey that you take. Um, I think there will be moments where you wonder, is this the right choice? Am I doing the right thing? Particularly if money's not coming in that great. Thank God I have a wife who, you know, works for the federal system so that, and, and I have a retirement. I hated to use that word, but there it is. Um, from the state of Maryland, but still, those moments come where you wonder, am I doing the right thing? Is this really what I'm supposed to do, or is this something else? And that's why I think that it's important to have something to believe in that's greater than yourself. Because if it only goes as high as yourself, you're going to keep bouncing back down. Because you can't go any higher than the ceiling. And I talk to, in addition to massage, I, I, I spend a lot of time talking with my clients about things like stress and sleep and the importance of taking care of oneself. Because my massage is only for an hour. But the most important thing that I can do for a person to, is to give them what I have. In my case, is to educate them about not only massage, how does nutrition play a have a um, how does nutrition play a part in that? How does sleep play a part in that? Um, how does stress play a part in that? How does your job play a part of that? And I think it's really important that when you have those moments, is to have something that you believe in that's greater than you, so you can push through that. Because you will push through it. But those moments will come. So understand that's going to happen. And sometimes they may last for a little while. But you got to be, if this is really what you want to do, just push through that. I know that sounds simplistic, but really that's what it comes down to. Um, I just want to add real quick. Um, I understand that some days I do have it. I have... I also have somebody that does question, like, what are you doing? Why are you taking so much time to achieve this certain goal? And it, it kind of it, it makes me think, it's like, what am I doing? Like, how can I do this? And why am I just treading, like, why am I in this area and not proceeding as farther I can? Um, for me, and um, again, this um, helps me out, is I list my, my, my goals, like small goals, I was like, okay, so this week I'm going to push the 3D printer. Next week I'm going to push this class. And I'm just trying, even though they're small goals, 
I mean, when I get achieve them, I feel a little bit more empowered, and it's like, oh, I can do this more. I'm achieving a little bit closer to my step. Um, it might be wading water, but you're still going towards the shore a little bit closer. Um, so every time you feel like you're not achieving anything, just set tiny goals, or even think of the, the achievements you made a while back. Like again, for the 3D printer, um, we have one. We're actually we're trying to have it open to the public and have that available. Um, I'm pretty much in charge of repairing it and fixing it. And I achieved that goal. Like, they had me in charge of repairing and fixing it. And I was like, that's one of the higher goals I had is being in charge of a certain thing, even something small. I finally got in charge of the 3D printer. And I was like, that's my achievement. And then I continued more on. I was like, I want to push it more. I want to teach more classes. I want different classes. Because I also do um, smartphone clinic and tablet clinic to teach people how to use it. And that was one of my other small goals. So, again, listing your achievements and making um, smaller goals will help you a little bit and now you that little funk. Okay. Sorry, that's me. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a, I could go on and on to answer that question. But, um, I sort of went through a real spiritual journey uh, along, obviously, the past 15 years of my life. And when I got into home renovation and I was given these two fantastic projects to do, I felt they were gifts handed down to me that any architect or designer in the city would have loved to have been given. So to me, that was a sign I was meant to do this and to keep going. And I, I beat myself up a lot when I watched Candace Olsen and all these shows on HGTV and like, I'll never be them, but I don't have to be them. I just have to take care of the people that hire me to do their jobs. And I have been given these gifts, tremendous jobs to work on. Um, and I do, you know, I don't have a lot of money. I've, I've blown through my retirement account with, through the past recession. That's all gone. So money is always like, mm, you know, where's the money going to come from? But it always seems to come. And when I finally learned to just relax and believe in myself and, and work on myself and my business, it came. It just came. So I prayed to my angels, whoever, Please bring me business. And right now I'm so swamped, I don't know what to do with myself. So it just believe in yourself, concentrate on yourself, work on yourself, and go t forward in what you want to do. And, and, and rely on whatever your spiritual belief is or non-belief. But just use it and lean on it, and it'll really it'll be there for you. And I just want to share something. I'm over here scrolling through my Facebook because I totally <laughs> left a message for my brothers, um, one of which that was discouraged because of his employment, actually. And um, it kind of touches on some of the goal things, so I'm just going to read it for you real quick because I felt like it was something that was worth sharing. Um, and so I said to my brothers, Denny and David, if there's one thing you can learn from me, I hope it's this. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, but rather where you're going. All you have to do is dream, then set goals as steps to achieve your dream. As each day passes and goals become accomplished one by one, your dream begins to become a reality. Um, no one can take away your accomplishments and success, and it's up to you to build off of those things. However, the wise people around us are the ones whom give us clarity and enlighten us with their knowledge. Those are the people that help us stay the course and we utilize for support. Um, life is not laid out like a map, but rather it's a blank map left unwritten for each of us to find our own way and discover all that we want and go to the direction that we so choose. It's about the imaginary road that we envision for ourselves and turn it into our own self-drawn map that we call life. 
So that's just kind of part of what I told them. And it's like we come to those times where we find ourselves struggling with depression and such. And you have to remember that, you know, you come to a roadblock and you feel frustration and aggression and all of these things because you don't know the solution. And it's really about finding that little step and that little thing, that place where you find that light and you're like, well, I can accomplish this. And once you see that, it's like it all just kind of lifts and gets a little easier. So... You know, I hope that kind of helps, you know, guide you in how to find some of that because I know there's been nights where I've sat on the floor just crying. Like, what am I going to do? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's normal. That's definitely the truth. So, um, you know, just look for the little, the little answers sometimes. Look for that little step. It doesn't always have to be the big one that you're, you're feeling like is completely toppled over. Sometimes just the, the little, you know, shortcut path to the left helps you get back on center. So. I just want to answer the question about how do you keep yourself going. Like sometimes, like I'm in the master's program now and it's really hard. And I think, well, I can just stop now. It's just too hard. But then I always have this little voice, like a little self-talk, like give myself pep talks. Come on, you can do it. Don't give up. It's hard, but you have to keep moving on. And then I always think if I quit, then I'll never know if I could have made it. Mm-hmm. So I have to keep on pressing on. Even if I just take small steps, as long as I keep moving, I'm going to get there eventually. And that's what keeps me going. Also, I believe also in, you know, because I'm a Christian, I believe in Scripture. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that is what keeps me going. But just setting small goals, like you said. And uh, just keep moving. Keep moving forward and just don't stop. Because yeah. it's very easy to quit. It's, you have to just keep going. Just to add one thing real quick, it's always important to have somebody in your life who can encourage you. Um, a, a friend, somebody who can tell you that when you're messing up, you know, hey, you know, you're really blowing it here. But also somebody who can encourage you through the difficult times, who doesn't sit in judgment of you, but who genuinely loves you as a friend. And I would say those kind of people are the people you want to keep closest to you, particularly in difficult moments. Because all of us know that, you know, what our faults are and our problems are, unless we're narcissistic. (laughs) Um, So the important thing is just keep somebody in your life who can keep encouraging you. And I, I, you know, think that that's one of the greatest things that I try to be in the, the lives of the people that I love is encouraging them to follow their dreams. Because if they can follow theirs, then I have no choice but to follow mine. I, I can't echo that loudly enough and strongly enough because in my own experiences, the, the wonderful existence in a university when you're teaching and working there, as I did for 15 years, it has its dynamic, it has its own point. And when it ceases, I remember last year, not last year, in 2009, this time, I wasn't preparing any syllabi for my six courses I would teach on average uh, each semester at the university. And it was a different time. And the great blessing, the, the, the flip side of the same coin that, you, that you've addressed to, as a beneficiary, as a recipient of these sentiments, is that you are surrounded by friends and colleagues and individuals who know you, who reach out and who don't let you fall between the cracks. And maybe sometimes grab you by the scruff of your neck and say, ah, not, not that way, this way, and, <laughs> and, and it helps. And it is, you know, that's, I think, among the greatest blessings in life, um, that, you know, one can sustain that and, and the process carries you and have faith in the process because it does, it does sustain you. It's a wave and it, it carries you forward.
Normally at these functions, um, the guests will, or the panelists will discuss all the positive sides of um, where they're coming from, and they don't touch on the negative sides. I'd like to just make a comment and then have um, four of you, well, all of you just respond to it, but especially the young lady in the, the pink, I don't remember the name. Dawn. Dawn? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, in the past, um, we had the advertising industry, mm -hmm. which took the nosedive, which you covered pretty good. It sounds like you overcame that by being somewhat flexible. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Um, the young lady here, Tanya? Tawny. Tawny, okay. Um, you were talking about the welding industry. And at one point in Baltimore here, they had a program. We had the shipyards going strong, and everybody was getting into welding with these programs. Then it took the nosedive with the auto industry and this type of thing. Mm -hmm. From what I've seen, again, you have to be flexible because there are welding positions, as you well know, available. But personally, I don't want to go to North Dakota or do underwater work or go to, um, what's that, Alaska. But I'm out of the job market, so I can deal with that. Um, young lady? Katie. Katie? Yeah. Okay. I've seen you in the technical areas here in the library. So, uh, and this question, when I finish, I'd like you to respond to this. The technical side of this, again, is something that's great, and you've spoken about it, the gentleman has spoken about it too, but I'm afraid that we're going into sort of like the real estate thing, the technological bust, and I'm wondering if um, we're facing that in the future. And I caught the tail end of the young lady here is Nina. Nina. Uh, you were in one area and you moved over into nursing. Okay, not too long ago, um, let's say about 10 years or so, right, ago, um, it came up to this thing about the nursing uh, bubble and the monies were going to be cut back, and the uh, nonprofits were letting nurses go, whatever. From what I understand, some nurses decided to become flexible, too, and they took jobs as, like, traveling nurses and filling in and this kind of thing. So um, I'd like you to just kind of bring me up to date on that and the other panelists, too. Thank you. I feel like that's mostly targeted at the ladies today, the question. No, I mean, I just ain't have no problem with it. Um, I guess I'll go first um, with technology there's always an opportunity like um, it's gonna have the bubbles gonna burst soon or later down the road um, anything new is gonna burst like I know Facebook is actually becoming unhip apparently to young teenagers um, so because <laughs> now people are using it for jobs and all so a lot of people they're going to a different technology and um, different social networking um, for the technology for me it's I feel like even if um, like computers are becoming obsolete, um, obsolete, or tablets are becoming obsolete, like if someone implants an iPhone in your eye or something, I'm, from a cartoon I saw. Anyway, because <laughs> I was like, that's probably going to happen in the future. Um, there's always going to be um, at least programming to, for me because the computers can't create their own programs, and I can see myself writing data and programs and say, okay, you're going to have to work this way and. Again, unfortunately, with um, humans, humans adapt like other animals do. And like you have to adapt what's like uh, popular or what's going to help you out. I'm, I have a feeling a lot of careers are, have that like, little bubble. Um, like librarians, um, I think someone on this panel mentioned that books might not be here anymore. Yeah, I so, You did? Okay, I thought so. I didn't want to say you. <laughs> I'm be mistaken. Um, so I know librarians, a few of them are doing to computers 
now they're like they're helping with online um, ebooks or using the computers or using the tablets. So um, even the librarians were evolving a little bit. We're changing our our um, statuses and jobs in here. So I, that... uh, to answer your question, yes, I remember uh, some time ago there was a nursing nursing shortage, and back in those days, you know, they were bringing in nurses, recruiting nurses from the Philippines mostly, and they were giving these nurses, you know sign-on bonuses and hiring bonuses. Well, those days are gone now. It used to be like when I applied for nursing jobs years ago, you would get a call back, like sometimes the same day or the next day. Now, (laughs) you apply for a job now, and you don't get a call back right away, sometimes up to like six months. So it's definitely changed. So the thing now is if you have a job, just stay there because really no one else is really hiring right now. So I used to you know, always apply for jobs, just seeing what was out there, but now I'm just going to stay where I am because... There's not a lot of hiring going on right now. So just be happy where you are. Um, In my case, um, after I had finished the house, I was still in advertising. I made the conscious decision that I was going to quit advertising in about a year and and do this. I wanted to save up lots of money and and do it. But um, they got me before I got them. So um, I had my only choice was to leave Baltimore and go to a bigger city and stay in advertising, and I didn't want to leave Baltimore. So I decided, well it's time to start my new career now instead of a year from now. And so I, that's why I did it then. Um, I'm sitting here thinking about all that you're saying, and it's like we're, it's all in regards to flexibility and really how flexible are you as a person, how moldable are you, and you know, not wanting to move. And, you know, all the factors that kind of are involved. I mean, what Marilyn went green and pushed out all of the um, manufacturing uh, at one point, I believe is my understanding, um, and, and and flexibility really is the word. Um, I went in as a, a, a entry level welder, came out of my first job after being incarcerated as not only a welder but a supervisor, but also a welding robotic programmer. Um, it's about kind of just dialing down in the area. Um, of your expertise, what you enjoy, and, and, and also how does that work in tam- tandem with what is needed. Um, and, and I knew when I went in uh, to Jane Addams' training program that I, it, it was something I needed from them. They had credibility and utilizing people, programs, nonprofits for their credibility in a sense, and they can back you and support you and, and job leads. I mean, um, in regards to our program, we're talking about welders that are placed at $26 an hour starting. So, you know, these are the things where you have to just kind of attack those people that are um, very familiar with that field and have that the access um, and be malleable. I want to go back to the example I gave at the beginning when I spoke, and that is the distinction between voluntary and involuntary career changes. Uh, with regard to voluntary career changes and transitions, my suggestion and recommendation would be uh, to be very careful and and very deliberate about how you initiate the change. Uh, When I was a youngster, my driving instructor used to say to me, I I learned how to drive in Germany, and we have the Autobahn in Germany, and he said, he took me on the second lesson out onto the Autobahn, and he said, the faster you go, the more gentle you've got to be on the wheel, because if you're doing 100 miles an hour, and we were, down the highway, if you yank the wheel, you're going to be out lickety-split. 
So if you're sitting in the parking lot, you can yank the wheel as much as you want. It doesn't go anywhere. And that's the same with voluntary career changes. If they perceive a change, they've got to initiate that change a little bit more gently. Why? Because the overwhelming factor in all of it is technology. And technology is at such a rapid pace. You just heard Facebook, the present generation doesn't even really use Facebook anymore. Email, it's ancient. I tell someone, would you please email me? And they kind of look at me like, what's email? You know, we communicate differently. But what is the driving force is the human need. And that is, I think, whether the change is voluntary or involuntary, you want to anticipate where the market is going. Because if you trail the market, then you're always trailing the market. You're reacting to whatever the changes are. But if you are fortunate enough to be just a bit ahead of the game, Game Changer is the name of the program today, right? If you can figure out how to be just a little bit ahead of the game, classical case in point, Microsoft and Apple, you know, Stephen Jobs and Stephen Wozniak were able to anticipate where the market was going, and they stayed with it. It morphed, it changed. The Apple today is not the Apple of 20 years ago, but they've always managed to be a little bit ahead of the, the, the market and what the needs are. And human needs... They need to be filled, regardless of what they are. They need to be filled. If they don't, then the, the, function, the system becomes dysfunctional and doesn't work properly. And that's the hardest part in my point. I wouldn't describe it as a negative thing, but it's the hardest thing to, to anticipate. I hope I answered your question. I would just say real quickly, um, flush out your idea on paper so you can see it. And then once you see it, you can explain it. I think one of the things I sort of sense in the room is that everybody has wonderful ideas, but what they want to know is, how in the world can this support me? How am I going to come up with the necessary funding to get my idea off the ground? And that's the great, one of the great things about social media. You can use things like GoFundMe, or you can ask some of your friends or some people around you to invest in my idea, to buy shares in, in, in my company. Be original in your presentation of what it is that you want to do. Because I, I learned that in massage therapy. I can, I can go out and say, well, you know what? I do Swedish massage. I do deep tissue. No. I do something called myoskeletal therapy, which is I look at your body and assess what's going on, and then we come up with a plan of how we're going to address those things. Ah, now I want to sit down and listen to you. What is it that you're talking about? I can see that something's going on in your shoulder by the way you're holding it, by the way it moves. So I would just say if you have a product, you have the idea within you, but don't be afraid to be original, and you can't be afraid of failure because you may fail. Okay, if you fail, do something else. You, you can't be afraid of the, the worst thing you can do is to be afraid of doing something. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid if you do it the first time it doesn't work. I've, I've got at least 10 business cards now, and none of them look terrible. But that's okay, because it's the idea of keep going. It's like a writer who writes their original manuscript. They mark it up, but you keep Doing something, you keep putting it out there. You keep doing something until you perfect the product. Another 
First of all, thank you. Thank you, everybody. I just, um, I got such value out of everything everyone had to say. And um, my question is kind of, first is kind of directed toward this woman who uh, said she was in prison. And um, probably all the women first. But it's, it's about, the, about your gender and how did, you know, it's, has that been an advantage or disadvantage in what you pursued? And it goes to the men as well. Sometimes it's, it's a, an advantage to be a man or a disadvantage and age and age as well. Is being younger for what you were trying to do, did that help you? Or being older, is that helping you? Or has it been a disadvantage? I think that's a really good question. Um, and it's funny that you bring that up because I was, I was thinking about this actually yesterday. Um, you know, in Chicago, um, race and nationality is a big issue. And, and I will say that being Caucasian is that that's the predominance out there. Um, so for being a woman, yes, it's difficult. And, and being in a welder for a woman, yes, it's breaking the stereotypes among professionals who are going to be your supervisor or who is the owner and looks at a woman and says, there's no way you could do that job. Um, absolutely. It is difficult. Um, for me, uh, in Chicago, it, you know, it was a little easier, um, for people to see me doing what I do, but I come out here and see that being African American is the larger population, you know, out here. And, and, it seems to be even more difficult out here for me because now it's like you're a woman, but you're you know not a part of the normal uh, larger sector. You know, Native American, or not Native, I'm not uh, Afro African American. Um, I'm Native American. That's what I said. <laughs> um, my name's Tawny, and it means firstborn. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, so yes, so depending on where you're at, and depending on what that um, looks like in that area, uh, it. it can be larger or smaller of an issue, but I think overall, um, being a woman is difficult um, to be in a man job in a man's job because picking up metal, carrying it around, and doing what we're supposed to do—it's hard. Um, it's not easy. I go home and my back hurts. Um, for a man, it's like I just have muscles and I'm going to throw it around and toss it <laughs> around. You know, it's not a big deal. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely something to overcome, but I think being confident is one of those things where um, your confidence will allow you to walk that path. Um, you know, I walked into my first job and, and put on my application, I'm a welder, and they looked at me like, what? You know, I come in dressed up, and I look like a woman, and and makeup on and earrings in, and, and you're a welder? You know, that's what you get, and... and I look back at them and I'm, yeah, I'm a welder and I can do the job. Let me show you. Um, and so that's the biggest thing is, yes, there is difficulties, but it's kind of, it's how you address them. It's how you come in with the confidence, knowing that you're capable of doing those jobs. I'd like to say, um, as I mentioned, I was probably one of the two girls in my class for learning technology because there was not, there's not a lot of women in the computer networking technology to, um, sector. And it just... Pretty much, and I was actually some days, um, I was the only girl in that classroom, and you know how sometimes guys like to mess around, and they like joke around, and apparently it's guy joking or something, so they, <laughs> they're like, oh, Katie can't do this, Katie can't do that, Katie's too, sh and unfortunately I'm also a very short person, so they kind of make fun of my height as well. Um, <laughs> 
I go along with it, though. <laughs> so um, I actually befriend some of them and just say, it's like, you know, you, you guys are all doing this tough talk and all this joking around, and it's just showing me that you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and sometimes that kind of challenges them, and then we pretty much have a, a challenge of, like, oh, well, I'm going to mess up your computer, you're going to fix it. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> so it's usually if you don't let them show that it's bothering you and you just push through, it's like, I want to be in computers, so I'm going to stay here in the computers. Uh, my dad likes to say that um, the cabins are a stubborn family, and, of course, I'd like to keep that name up and saying I'm very stubborn. Um, I'm pretty sure if you ask any of my coworkers if a computer is not working, my thing is it's mocking me. It's not going It's going to be fixed. <laughs> That's one of the jokes we have. It's like, it's, it's mocking Katie. It's going to get fixed. <laughs> so that's pretty much, like, if just push through and just kind of like, eh. With, with the guys, they usually either be with, help you or be your buddies or they're just going to kind of ignore you because they're not going to let you, but you're not getting bugged by them. And that's my advice for in the area where there's not a lot of women. You just kind of have to, like, meh and do your work and show them that you can best them or show them that you can do as best them. I know we're doing equality, like men and women have to be equality and all, but if I'm going to do a better job, I'm going to do a better job. I don't care if you're a guy or a girl. So that's it. <laughs> um, my story is my careers have all been more female-centric anyway. Women are working these careers, so I haven't had any issues being a woman and getting a job. Um, I am getting older, and that concerns me more than anything because I don't want the younger generation to look at me and think I'm too old to know how to design their space for them. So that's the one thing I, I struggle with personally. That's why my hair is still dyed dark. <laughs> um, I want to go natural, and I'm, I'm not quite ready yet. But um, I think when people get to meet me, and and I don't, I don't, you know, I just there's I have a real love of what I do, and I think that comes through and that keeps me youthful. And um, I don't think I've lost any jobs because of my age uh, and what I'm doing now. So I'm going to hopefully that will stay on track. Um, the one factor I, I would like to point out, and it's a systemic thing that maybe all of us can focus our attention on. I mean, the way our rules are set, um, I'm, I'm a trained lawyer and a law professor, so I know a little bit about rules. And the way the rules are set, there is a distinct disadvantage to age. I'll exemplify it quickly uh, with what I'm saying. Right now, if you're moving into your Social Security years and if you are somewhere between 62 and 65 uh, or 66, you can make certain elections. If you take Social Security, there is a gap. I mean, there's a ceiling, $15,000, and above it, you're basically getting cutbacks on your, on your benefits. If you're 66 and above, it doesn't make any difference. And to me that bespeaks a lack of really thorough understanding in a society of how important work and labor is. If I had my brothers, I would change the rules quite completely to say people who are capable of working, they want to work up until they're 85 or 90, be my guest. You're welcome to it. And we phase in the benefits in a different way as needed. Medicare the same way too. 65, you must make certain elections. If you don't, the federal government does it for you, and it is not to your benefit, it's to the benefit of the federal government. So we should really change that because there's a huge amount, absolutely overwhelming amount of experience that's just going by the wayside of the gray-haired um, generation, yours truly included, um, that is underutilized. And we're not paying attention to that. So 
Age is certainly a, a point. I've applied to many a job and you go there and they can't tell you, sorry, you're disqualified because of your age because that's an actionable claim. I can file an age discrimination lawsuit and have the entire place if I wanted to. Uh, they, won't, they won't do it, but you can read between the lines. Oh, we'll, we'll call you, let us think, and then you find out they found someone who was 30 years your junior but doesn't know what they're doing and they're going to pay for those, that lack of experience. Um, in my case... Um, that's it. That is an issue. Uh, discrimination based on sex is an issue reversed because I'm a male in a female dominated position. I'm also an African-American male in a Caucasian female dominated profession. So I already had two what people would call strikes. Now there were two opportunities for me to do better. Um, I think when you go in something, you're always going to go in something not being fully prepared or not being fully ready. And I can't tell you how many times that I talk to someone on the phone and they tell me they're coming in. And then when they get there and see me, it's like, (laughs) you know, you get the side eye like, you really Kevin Hatcher? Are you sure? Um... And you have you, you have you you have to push through that. So what the way I counteract that is this. Why don't you tell me why your knee is bothering you? Why don't you tell me why your shoulder hurts? Why don't you tell me why you're having trouble sleeping at night? So what I try to do is let my competency and my knowledge come through. And I look for people who are interested in getting better. Because the one thing you can't do in life is pursue people who really don't want you or your service. Otherwise, you you just spend a lot of time just doing nothing. And I had to learn that the hard way. Well, I wonder why they don't want me. I wonder why. I wonder why. No. Finally, you just get to a point and you say, you know what? Yeah, my hair is salt and pepper. Yeah, I am getting, I am maturing. I don't use the word getting old. I say maturing. (laughs) Um, My father always reminds me, who's 87, who still goes and works out in the gym. He said, when you get old, you'll know it. You won't have to tell anybody. (laughs) Um, But the important thing is, is that don't, don't let age become a barrier to you doing something. Like I said, my faith allows me to, to, to look at things and see that, you know what? If this person did this at this age, and this person did this at this age, and they did it at that age. Nelson Mandela became president of South Africa at a time where most people would be trying to find a chair for him to go and sit in. So we have to understand that it's about your outlook on life. And it's about the knowledge and the services that you can offer. If you can do those things, then everything else will take care of itself. Thank you. It's almost 3.30. We don't have to immediately give up the room. So if there's another question, we could take another one more question. Actually, what's interesting, I'm, I'm the AV guy who 
does a lot of these podcasts. I'm not saying that to talk about what I do, but what's interesting is we usually do about 100 podcasts a year. It's really increased in the past couple of years. I would say today is really special, and part of it is the folks that have been up there, but part of it is the rest of the folks who have been here sitting with the rest of us listening. And it just what really strikes me the most is everybody here has something unique that is needed. And only you, every one of you can, in your own unique way, share. So that's, that's probably the greatest thing. And it's, it's been great to hear everybody. It's great that people are going to be able to listen to this podcast and be inspired as well. But I, I just had to share that with you. This is, I've never done that before on a program mentioning something. But it's just, you know, I, I just feel blessed with you all being Thank here. You. Not just you, but everybody. We all Thank you. Gene, if I may just say with regard to us panelists, at least for my part, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, please feel free to give them my email. They can contact me. And I would also like to have the emails of my fellow panelists to get in touch with them so we can stay in touch and see how we can help one another. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much to the panelists and for everybody that participated. And I'm wondering... Would people be interested in future to have a networking event yeah. at the library? Yeah. It just seems like we have a lot of people that might have reason to talk to each other in future. And there's a little bit of time now if you want to have a few drinks and snacks after the um, panel, you can talk. But maybe that's something we want to look into for the future. And thanks again to everyone. Thank you.